knows if it'll get actually recorded or not. So, All right, let's open in prayer. Gracious Father, again, we come tonight with an anticipation of hearing from you, not just about you, but from you. And Lord, when we come together, when we gather, when we open your word, when we pray, when we seek you, that is our desire. And sometimes, Lord, it's hard for us to to believe that you, that transcendent, mighty God way off there, would actually speak to us. But we know your word is absolutely crystal clear on that. And as we, as we study and we talk about this tonight, help us understand how being in relationship with you, first and foremost, means that you communicate to us. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who we know yet today even communicates with us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, how, how, was your, uh, how was your bonus week? You know, it's crazy because, you know, we, we have these, um, it's called Spiritual Formation Advisory Team. It, it, the name doesn't relate to what it really, they're discipleship groups. And so they meet for three years, and one is just coming to, to wrapping up. Um, and uh, on Monday, uh, meets on Monday nights, and so they're into their three years. And so they're writing spiritual formation plans for what goes on after uh, the, uh, this, their time together, the three years is up. And we haven't met on Monday night for two weeks. And um, already I'm getting feedback going, oh my goodness, I, I can't believe it. I mean, it's been two weeks and I've stopped reading. I've just, I've given up that Monday night. I'm doing something else. And I'm going, how after three years of meeting every Monday night and reading, how, how can it go so quick? But it is. That's the way it is. It's the same in this class. You're carving out Wednesday nights, and you're carving out time to do the study. Well, hopefully you're doing carving out time to do the study. And when the study's up, 90% of the people will revert back as if it never happened. They'll have the content in their mind. They may look at the world differently, but the time they devoted to that study will be swept back in by the secular aspect of their life. They're doing whatever life is. So I just encourage you, if you've, been, if you've been doing this this summer, if you've been meeting on Wednesday nights, if you've been doing the study, keep that time set aside in your life for God and for studying his word. Okay, so you know the first question tonight's going to be, what did you do with your bonus week? Because I promised that to you two weeks ago, and, and I try to keep my promises, so, so there it is. Okay, so we ready for tonight's unit. So, so he... We have to practice. We have to practice on our choral, our choral uh, rendition, okay? Four-part harmony now? No. Okay, so let's, say, let's try it one more time. Oh, isn't that? I think that's the most powerful memory verse yet. Thank you. I think that's the most powerful memory verse in, in uh, and, it, and really... I tell you, a lot of times we teach this class, people get to that one and they'll just freak out. Well, I, I don't hear from God. He, I, I, he hasn't spoken to me. What does that mean? What does that say about my relationship? Aren't I saved? Well, for most people, it isn't that he isn't speaking to them. They're just not, they don't see it in that light. When they hear, when they hear the word God speaking to them, they think some one-off mystery voice that comes, you know, in the dark or something happens. And, and then when you do, as we did many weeks ago, uh, when you start talking about God speaking to us in all the ways that he speaks to us, then we start to see it differently. But the Bible is clear. If, if, we, are, if we are justified, saved, in other words, or in the process of part of salvation, if we're justified, we have what? Romans 5. What do we have? The Holy Spirit. Now, why do we think we have the Holy Spirit? 
You think the Holy Spirit's just looking for a free ride through life? I mean, you think the Holy Spirit, like, checks off how many people can I be in in a given period? Of, why is the Holy Spirit in us? And the Bible is clear. Paul makes no doubt. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not saved and you're under the wrath of God. Can I say that more clearly? I know for you at Timberwood, we are in Romans. You're right. We got another year and a half of this. John's jumping up on the little table. That even caught me off guard because I'd forgotten, you know. You're sitting there going, oh, he jumped up on there again. You know, he did that one other time. The first time he ever did it, he practiced. I came in. He says, okay, I'm going to try this. He does it, and I go, oh, don't break a leg, man. Don't break a leg. I could just see first service off in the ambulance. We're looking at each other. Okay, who's got the second service? Because <laughs> it's all about me. That's all I care about. So, so, you know, it's that kind of, you know, intensity, and that's what Romans really is. And so this idea that we have the Holy Spirit, and, and you ever stop to ponder, why do we have the Holy Spirit? A lot of people go for the, the one word, oh, he's called comforter. So the Holy Spirit's just around going, Jackson, it's okay, man. It's all good. I'm just here to comfort you. It's all good. I hope it works okay. You know, it's, every... it's one aspect. But what is he doing when he's going, you know, Jackson, sorry. It's communicating. The Holy Spirit resides in us to communicate with us. And so if God doesn't communicate with us, then you're, hmm, wasting the Holy Spirit? The other thing, too, is what do we say at Timberwood? What does it take to be justified or saved? What does it take? Oh, you've heard it a thousand times. Come on, you guys quote it to me all the time. It takes a relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you ever had a relationship with someone where there's been absolutely no communication with them. Let me put it this way. Have you ever had a positive relationship with anyone where there's been absolutely no communication with them? No. How can you call that a relationship? How would you know? I mean, no communication. I mean, not even, not even email, not even a, you know, a, 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 what do you call it? a Facebook thing, you know. Um, See, yeah, don't even go there. Uh, yeah, so, you know, clearly you can't be in relationship unless there's communication. And if you say you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, if you say you're saved, you say you're justified, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've what? You've had to have communication. So clearly you've heard from God and you spoke to God. Okay? We always, we don't have any, I've never had anybody say they don't speak to God. I've never had anybody. Even atheists, you know, they pray. I don't know if you know that. 70%, by survey, 70% of all atheists pray. I'm not sure to what. You know, and prayer defined as to God. I mean, you know, you could say, well, they mean something else. No, they're defined as to God, okay? So this communication is, is foundational to, to our being saved, to our relationship, our sanctification, our growing in our faith, all of that. Okay, so we're going to, with that context, usually what would I do? I'd do the review, and then we'd open up the unit, right? This time, we're going to take this topic that we're going to cover tonight in the unit and weave it through the review, because it's, it's something very uh, powerful was said to me today at lunch, and this is a group of people that, that meet regularly and work on our Wednesday night ministries and, and uh, work on what I say on Wednesday nights, not on this, but during the school year. And, and they said something that just struck me. And they, they, they made this statement. They said, I think most people struggle with the relationship with God because they struggle with fully accepting and understanding that, the, that God or the Godhead are persons. Because they, 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 they get caught up in this person as being what? A human. And what's the uniqueness of a human compared to the divine? The physical presence. And so we, we sit there and we so are enslaved into this concept of what is real is physical that we can't accept God as a person because God is not physical. 
And so our whole thinking of communication, relationship, all of this gets truncated by this inability to accept the personhood or three personhoods in the Trinity of, of the Godhead. And, and I, I, we can mentally say, oh, yeah, I, I know, you know, Trinity, three persons, one substance, one, you know, homostasis is the Greek term. And we can say that. But when it gets right down to it, when we, when we relate, that's the problem. See, what happens is Jesus, okay, we know Jesus walked on earth, so this whole idea of Jesus being a person, okay, well, he was a human at one time, so I can accept his personhood. The father, well, okay, when I say father, I just think of father, so I put some kind of physical dimension to him, and then I can kind of make him a person, but then the Holy Spirit, I'm just out of luck. What do I do with that? Now, remember, the Holy Spirit is no more a physical person than the Father. They, neither one has a body. You can call it Father. You can say his mind. You can say all these things. But they're both spiritual. They're not physical. What's so crazy is our personhood, our personhood is the modeled by God. Our personhood is a result of the image of God coming to otherwise what might be considered an animal. And so when we say, I'm not, I can't accept God being a person, God's going to be sitting there going, what are you? Your, your personhood is the image of me. I'm more person than you are. You are a copy of what personhood is as defined by God. By God. So God is more person than we are. We're human, means body, but we're, we're actually less person than God is. And I always ask people, I say, okay, so, so when you die, is that it? Is it all over? Well, of course not. I go to heaven. Well, what goes to heaven? Uh, my soul. <laughs> Well, is that you or not? Because you aren't going to have a body. Even if, even if you believe in the intermediate state, we're not going to get into it. But you don't have a body. Nobody argues for a body in the intermediate state. So you got no body. Are you a person or you're not? Well, I'm me. Well, are you a person? Yes. So are you then or not? Well, you see, person does not mean physical body. If it meant physical, biological body, then a horse would be a person and a cow would be a person and a pig would be a person. No, that is not what defines personhood. Okay? So it's important to get this because as we talk about God speaking to us, this is not some far-off force yelling, hey, Tom, you should go left, not right. You know, and sometimes that's what people think of when they think of God speaking to us. It, it's, yeah. All right. I think you got the point. So, as we talk, we're trying to shorten the distance of the communication between us and the three persons of God, okay? So we're trying to shorten that, that distance of it, okay? Now, it's also this Wednesday SFAT group, by chance, actually is studying the book that these two images come from, this image and that image. They're actually in that book, and this week were those images, and so they got there, and they said, wow, these are amazing images. I go, you know, Wednesday Night Group's been looking at this for about, I don't know how many weeks, four weeks. And they saw this in this. They said, you know, this is exactly how we live our lives. Now, this is not you guys. This is a group that has seen this for the first time, seen these images. And they say, God, that, yeah, God is a... Jesus, let's say, by, uh, symbolized by the cross, is a part of my life, but really, he's fighting for time with everything else in my life, you know? I got work, I got school maybe, I got family, I got this, I got that, I got fishing, I got hunting, I got uh, quilting. Where are you, Valerie? Thank you. Um, 
As long as I got Valerie in my class, I know something I can use for uh, the female gender. Um, though there's a lot of women that fish and hunt, I understand. I learned that right away when I came up here. When a woman called me from her deer blind, and she's whispering. She goes, hi, Tom, what's up? And I go, why are you whispering? She goes, I'm in my deer blind, and a deer's coming. I cannot be in Chicago anymore that somebody's whispering in their deer blind while their uh, deer is coming by. I remember coming from Chicago when I came here. Um, so as we look at these things in our life that are competing, who determines? Who's the center? Who's the, the driver, the ultimate arbitrator, the lord of our universe? Right, self, exactly. And so it isn't like God is or Jesus is more prominent. That is an aspect of it. But that Jesus is the controlling entity of our life. That Jesus is the Lord of the life determining what, what's to do, what you know, should be done and the set of uh, goals or values that we uh, live our life on. So then we talked about this, moving the importance. Remember, these all say the same things, just different way of saying it, okay? Talked about the flask um, and how to get more Jesus into us. We have to empty ourselves, dying to self. There's a lot of different metaphors the, the Bible uses for that. Talked about whether we're investing in eternal or, or temporal. And then we talked about this, and, and again, this is a, a very... Um, you know, it's been two weeks since we met, and yet I think I've had, I don't know, probably 20 discussions using this, different people's lives, because it spoke to them. To, to know him, okay, is to love him, is to then believe in him, to entrust him and obey him. And we talked about how people try to, to know him and then obey him, know him and obey him. If you short-circuit that, if you go from know and to obey, what do you get? You get a codified life. You get the pharisaical life. You get this life that's all about doing what's required of you, but not really being, not doing it out of love and out of a relationship. And we do it because we're supposed to do it, not because we trust that what he's asking us to do is really best for us. And your level of commitment, if you believe this is really in my best interest, your level of commitment is so much different if you're doing, I'm doing it because I have to do it because he's making me do it. So this whole circle is incredibly important, how it just reinforces. Because the more we obey him, the more we know about him, and the more we learn about him, Blackaby's going to say the more we experience him in this whole process. Okay? All right, so now we go on to uh, this week, and uh, this whole idea, does God speak to us? Okay, there's people still, I, I, I understand, I've taught this class enough time, that they'll, they'll say, oh, absolutely, but in the back of their mind, they're going, ah, still not 100% sure, or I'm not 100% sure what that would look like. But most people by this point will at least agree with the statement, whether they fully can accept it. The bigger question is, do we want God to speak to us? It's so easy to say yes. You ever ask anybody a question, and then they answer it, and you go, oh, God, I wish I never asked that question. Now I'm stuck. Hey, do you want me to, because you're sure they're going to say no, do you want me to do X, Y, Z, because what, you're glorifying yourself because you're looking really good, and then they say, well, that would be great. Or they say what you think they're going to say, no, but now that you volunteered, can you go do this over here? And you go, oh, you got to be kidding me. I thought for sure I was just going to look good and get out of doing nothing. When we come to God and we want him to speak to us, why? Why do we want that? You know, I mean, really, what do we want out of it? People come to God all the time, and, and it's going to sound harsh. It can sound harsh. But my experience is a lot of people, I'm not going to quantify that, really see God as this. Here I am going through life, and I come to, hard to see, two doors, okay? Two doors. Door one and door two, all right? And what do I want from God? 
Why am I praying to God? Why am I relating to God? I want to know which door I should open to get what I want out of life. And if you don't believe me, listen to your own prayers. <laughs> Not to beat up on Timberwood, but if you took our prayer cards that from a Sunday morning and I gave them to you, you'd read them and you'd go, oh my goodness, they're standing between one or two or three doors and going, okay, God, tell me which door I should open. And it isn't for which door you want me to open. Tell me which door then gives me what I want. What we want from God is we want him to go behind the doors, you know, Monty Hall. Anybody remember Monty Hall? Okay, right. Look behind the doors and go, open one. That's the one with the grand prize. And then we open one and go, wow, God has blessed us so amazingly. Look, of all the temporal things that are going to pass away that are going to fight against God and take me to hell that he's given me. Isn't this amazing? Okay, maybe it isn't quite like that. But you get the point. When people say, people come to me and they'll say, uh, I got these two jobs and uh, I'm praying to God, God, which job should I take? And I go, well, what, what do you, well, I want to know which one's going to work out best for me. What about which one glorifies God the most? Yeah, 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 that's good. But which one's going to work out best for me? And that sounds harsh, I know, but it's the reality. And the problem is it so enslaves us and, and, and really stops the ability of the Holy Spirit, God through the Holy Spirit, to work through and in our lives to transform us and bring truly what is best for us. You know what? Between those doors, which door leads me to God? Which door causes me to grow? Which door leads to transformation? Which door leads to His glory? And I don't care about anything else. If, if door one leads to my death, but it glorifies God and brings people into the kingdom, then give me door one. I just haven't seen that prayer request very often. Whatever you do, heal them. I don't care what it takes, God, just heal them. Hmm. So when we communicate with God, when we hear God speak to us, it's very much in the context of, tell me, should I open one? Should I open two? What should I do? What gets me what I want? Because, see, we tend to think. <laughs> I, I used to ask, I said, well, what, what, do you, what do you think this is about? Well, it's about God's plan of salvation for me. So are you saying this is about you? Really? It's about one thing. Triune God. That's the only thing this is about. And I know for a lot of us that's hard to accept because we're Americans and the world revolves around us. This is about the triune God. And that's all. His plans were in here. His interactions with humans is in here. But it's about him. Yet we so desperately make it about us. And, and we're going to be talking about this a little bit. When we come to the Bible, we, with this mindset of this is about, we come to the Bible going, oh, what has it got for me? And you know what I like to say? Some of you know. You know what that's got? What did that get for you? Hell and the wrath of God. Again, we're in Romans. What it's got is the revelation of who God is. The revelation of who God is. And in there is the good news of what God wants to do. And how if we're willing to believe that, that then we are swept up in what he's doing. 
But we so often go, oh, here, tell me, you know, about me. Tell me what I, or what's even worse, is tell me what I need to do to get what I want. And we are not the center of that Bible. Where's Brent? Brent, remember, we're down there, very first, this thing we call Esther. And, and we're reading in Ephesians 2, and if you know Ephesians 2, you know, the first three uh, chapters of Ephesians all about God's salvific plan, and then 4, 5, and 6 about what we're supposed to do to live out that plan. And, and we're meeting, and there's this group of us, and, and we're in 2, and we're just really dissecting 2, and it's just so powerful where we're doc, walking dead men enslaved by the world, our sinful nature, and Satan, but God, you know, this whole thing. And the person that in this group, it goes, okay, but yeah, what is this saying about me and what am I supposed to do because of this? And I finally, you know, it was in my younger days, you know, I was a little harsher maybe back then. I've mellowed so much since then. I came unglued. I got one of the most powerful passages in all the Bible. Then God did this. And you go, oh yeah, okay, fine, great. But what does that mean and, and what am I supposed to do because of it? I go, it's not about about what God has done. There's implications for you, but it's not about you because God did it solely on his own. That's the point of chapter 2 of Ephesians. Quit trying to thrust yourself into what God is doing and allow him to do it. Because it's through his grace alone that we are saved through faith. Well, I recovered after a little bit. That person doesn't go to Timberwood anymore. Um, no, it's totally different, unrelated thing. But, you know, so often, we used to make a joke, you know. Why are you trying to steal God's glory? Why are you still trying to steal God's glory? You know, we'd always go, oh, oh, I'm not doing that. Whatever I'm doing, I'm not trying to steal God's glory. But when we try to make this about us, it's kind of what we do. So we go through this whole thing, and, and, and okay, so... Why does God speak to us? And Blackley says three things, right? He speaks to us to reveal himself, who he is, and that's what the Bible does. And, and one of the most powerful reasons to be very versant in the Old Testament is because that is 77% of the Bible revealing who God is. If you are not conversant with the Old Testament, then you're missing three-quarters of what the Bible has to say about God. It also gives you a lot of history. It gives you the, the, what, what the New Testament is the fulfillment of. It gives you all kinds of things, but it also cuts out three-quarters of the revelation of who God is. Then the second thing is His purposes. What is God's purpose for you? People go, I know, I've been searching for that, you know. Does, does he want me to take this job? Does he want me to have a, a second child? Does, does he, and I go, shut up, come on. I know that seems harsh. And really, it's not going through my head when I'm looking at you. You know, when you're telling me those things, I'm really not sitting there going, come on. No, I'm really, you know, tenderly in the moment trying to go with you. <laughs> not really, that's the truth. Those of you that have met with me and many of you in here have, you know, really, that's, what God's purpose is, is what? Right, and, and what is that relationship going to spawn? The process of salvation, right? And he wants us to grow in our relationship. He wants us to become his sons and daughters. He wants us to become his doulasses or slaves or servants. And we can have that debate all day long. He wants us to be wholly and completely in his son, Jesus Christ. That's his purpose. That's his plan. Well, let me take that back. His purpose is to glorify himself. His purpose as it respects us and his plan for us is that. Don't ever let anyone say to you, yeah, I'm trying to figure out God's plan for me. No, you got the answer. Just say, I got that. His answer is, and just say what I said. In fact, I'd write it down on a piece of paper after class. You think I'm joking? I'm not. Write it down on a piece of paper. Memorize it. 
Because I tell you what, you want to sound like you kind of got a little figured out of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? When they say that to you, say it. Okay, yeah, his plan is that he'd have a, you'd have a relationship, come to salvation, justification through him, and that you'd be ever seeking him and growing and completely coming his son and daughter through being in Christ with your total being. That's what he wants. Everything else is meaningless chatter. It really is. It's meaningless chatter. But if you accept that as the foundation of your life, then every decision is a slave to that. You know, in leadership we talk about, you know, you have the vision, and all strategies are slave to the vision, and every decision becomes easy. In an organization, you lead an organization, it's real easy. You cast a hard vision, and then everything gets asked, does that lead to that vision? And if it doesn't, it gets cast out of the way. You keep a focused, unified organization that way. Same way with our lives. If our vision is God's plan, which is growing in Christ, being in Christ, then if it isn't that, then it, it isn't aligned with his plan. You say, well, wait a minute, i got to have a job. Right. Are you looking for the job that most clearly glorifies God? A job that doesn't at least compete with God? Are you looking in your relationship how you can live out your faith through your relationship? Can somebody look at you as a, as a spouse or a parent or employee, Ephesians 5, uh, as you look at that and say, wow, there's a follower of Jesus Christ. There's a person that has got their life grounded and centered on Jesus Christ. Because I can see how they... They work, how they, they spot, you know, how their marriage works, how their, their kids, you know, whatever that, how they relate to their parents. That's what God's plan is. And his ways, how does he work? How does he do what he does? How does he communicate to us? And that's a major part. And... and People all the time will say, yeah, I really wish I knew what God's plan or I want God to speak to me. And I go, do you read this thing? I mean, do you study it? Not just read it. Do you study it? Because it's the first and foremost way he communicates with you. No, I really don't. Well, then you really don't want him to communicate with you. If you're dying of thirst and I had a pitcher of water up here, and you say, boy, I could really go for a pitcher of water. And I say, well, here it is. I'll walk it right to you and I'll hand it to you. You go, no, I'm not going to drink it. Then you really don't want a drink of water. If, if you want to hear from God, you're in, and, and again, not just reading it, because you can just read the words and say, well, it doesn't say anything to me. Well, no kidding. I mean, I can talk to you, and you cannot listen to me, and you'd say, wow, you're not saying anything. Well, right. I mean, study it. Slow down. Actually see what he's trying to say. And, and, and listen with, with the intent of learning and growing. Not, ju not justifying ourselves. We, you know, we go, I see, I'm going to look around and look around and look around. Oh, here's something that, okay I, okay, I agree with this. This supports what I believe. Wow. Blackaby says this, like, we may be able to achieve all of our goals and yet be far from God's will. You believe that? What's the problem? Why would that happen? Because our goals aren't aligned with God. And quite frankly, I, 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 I get to do this. Um, um, you know, like in premarital, I'm, I'm premarital, and I and I have uh, couples. Um, do what their expectations are of marriage. And a lot of times you get those expectations. You know, and these are, you know, people that, you know, followers of Christ and all. And, and you'll go through, uh, let's say there's 12 of them. And you'll go through them and then God's at the end of the list. Like, oh yeah, you should throw God in there. God, you know. And, and you know, you know me, you know. Here you get a chance to really help someone. Um, you go, hmm. You know, all these things. 
but you want, you want your relationship built on Christ. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, then, why is he like one seemingly afterthought at the end? And before we, we are critical of them, we, we, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. The question is, do we allow God to shape our understanding of everything? Or do our, our, does our background, our, our political beliefs, our way we were raised, our traditions, our whatever, do they shape how we see God? Because that's the biggest point. You know, and I've told you this before. In seminary, you know, you're in hermeneutics, and hermeneutics is just a fancy word for interpreting the Bible. So you're in hermeneutics class, and, and they just proved you by a series of exercises because, you know, we're, we're godly people. That's why we're in seminary, right? And we're somewhat knowledgeable, and we're kind of, you know, puffed up in a little bit when you start seminary. And they make you go through the Bible, and they show you through a series of exercises just how much you read into the Bible. It's shocking. I mean, it is, it is shocking. You know, I'll read a passage, and then another person will read a passage, and we come up with, you know, a different interpretation. And as we break that down and look at why we saw it the way we did it, our faith tradition, how we were raised, how we see the world, all these things. And, and what we're doing is we're really distorting God's word based on really our set of beliefs because of how we were, you know, raised or what, what we want to hold on to. And, and, and it happens all the time. All the time. You, you know my, you know, I, I could I could go to there's so many there's so many verses that get ripped out of context and you've heard me rail against many of them that get ripped out of context and are we force the interpretation that we want on that verse and, and you know some of them just are marketing ploys you know I mean go into a or go on a website or go anywhere and look and and you'll see. You know, uh, all these things with these verses on them, you know, trinkets, all kinds of stuff. And, and that, that verse, those set of whatever words, five, six words, feel so good. Yet that is not what the Bible means at all by those f handful of words. Now, the Bible may elsewhere speak to those, that same topic, but not in that, that setting. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just, why do we go to the Word? Are we looking for something to tell us we're okay? Are we looking for something to tell us that God's going to make everything all right? Or are we looking to truly understand what God's saying to us? And that comes to this point, which is what Mueller talks about. To hear God, we must empty ourselves of what we want to hear and be willing to hear what God wants us to hear. I know, you know, I've told this story a ton of times. When we built this phase, okay, um, there was a partner. This is not Norson at all. This is a partner that we hired to do part of the professional part of it. And, you know, they built it. No, they didn't build it. They designed it. All good. So years later... You know, we built this and opened it in 09, and, and that was really in the midst of this whole construction, you know, went right down. So the CEO of that firm, who is, doesn't live in town, the firm's not from the town, is coming through, and he stops off on a Sunday morning, unannounced. He's just worshiping with us, and I see him, and, and we, we go back to, um, to what was a you know, what we call the away room, the, the original away room, away room, first one. And in there we have this thing, we have a sailboat with this verse on it, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. And, and he sees it. And he says, wow, so things aren't going real well for him because it's, you know, no construction firm was doing great back then and tough time. And he goes, and, and says, you know, God, I know the plans I have for you, prosper you, all that. Okay. So he says, you know, we're claiming that verse for our firm. We're, we're praying it, and we're claiming it, and we're saying this is a promise of God, so for my firm, and da-da-da-da-da. Well, I counted it 2,700, tried to just really hold my breath, just everything I could, and I couldn't anymore because I said, okay, here's a, here's a 
some way I would have thought, you know, as a mature Christian, I've now been presented this opportunity to speak into this person's life and through into this person to, to this person's firm. And I said, you know, that's, that's fascinating because what did you do to cause this demise of your firm that you're experiencing right now? And he's, he's a big guy, and he was taken back. He just literally, physically stepped back and went, well, well nothing. This was just an industry trend. I said, well, 2911, you know, it's interesting because Jeremiah, the second longest book in the Bible after Psalms, this is how God speaks for 27 chapters about the sins of Judah and how he's going to wipe them out completely punish him, kill an entire generation off, and 70 years later, when they're all dead, he's going to keep this nation alive and bring them back. That's what 2911 means. And he's going, okay, take a deep breath, because he says, well, that's being pretty literal, isn't it? Okay, grab a hold of me. Grab a hold of me. <laughs> I said, well, I'm certainly not a biblical literalist when you talk about being wooden, just forcing meaning on words. But I say, when a book has gone 29 chapters to make a point, and it's culminated in this verse, I don't think that's being overly literal. I think that's called interpreting in the context to which it's being said. Now, I know 29.11 is like most people's favorite verse. And, and I often get chastised by family members that say, why do you beat up on their favorite verse? And I do it only as a great example of are we going to the Bible Dear from God, are we going to the Bible to make God say something we want to hear? Because when we go to the Bible, we should empty ourselves of our own agenda. And we should clearly listen for what God has for us. Now, at least you think I'm not saying God wants the best for you. You can go zillions of other places in the Bible where in context, that's what the Bible's saying. And sometimes we say, well, if it says it somewhere, then what difference is it if I make this say it here? Because then you are what? You're the determiner of what the Bible says. And you've become God in your life. All right. Let's go on. Dear God, clearly we must empty ourselves. Let's go on. Today, God uh, primarily speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible prayer circumstances in the church. Getting back to where we started. If you've been saved, if you've been justified, if you're uh, a son or daughter of God through Jesus Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit. Again, Romans is clear. If you have the Holy Spirit, you're justified. If you're justified, you have the Holy Spirit. You cannot be justified and not have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit for God to communicate with you. And, and people will say, yeah, I'm praying to God off there. And I go, why don't you pray to God right here? This God right here. Not me, but the God that resides in us. Pray to that God. Don't, don't put God a long ways away. God is, is right here. And again, it becomes this whole physical versus spiritual and this idea that the physical is real to us and the spiritual isn't. If we can't see it, feel it, touch it, if it isn't tangible, it isn't real. But the spiritual is more real than the physical. And when we start to deal with that, we start to understand, oh my, as long as I think this body is real, in this body is something more real than the body itself. That's the Holy Spirit. And that gets a whole lot different. You see, if I'm, if, if, if Larry is in like the other end of the building and I'm talking to Larry, 
That distance gives me a sense of what? Comfort, control. But if Larry is right here, that's a whole different communication process. So if we think of God as this transcendent, far-off being, and, you know, he's like two time zones away, like we're sending our prayers off and we're waiting for a couple of days to get the answer because he's so far away. That isn't the way it is. You know, people say, wow, you know, it'd be incredible if like Jesus Christ was right here. Okay, if Jesus Christ was right here, I'd be scared out of mind. That means he returned and, and I didn't see it coming and, and I'm kind of like, wow, shouldn't, if he's standing here, I should like sense that or something. But I go, but you have Jesus right here. It's called the Holy Spirit. Jesus left to send the Holy Spirit that would be with us. And see, the Holy Spirit is a communication tool. He uses the Bible. Remember, the Bible's clear, 1 Corinthians. When we are regenerated, when our hearts changed in this process of, of justification, we now can understand spiritual things. So he, the theological term is he illuminates the Bible so we can understand the Bible. So he makes it possible that we can understand the Bible and God communicate to us. In prayer, he is speaking to us, giving us words, giving us understanding to say to God back and for God to say us. Circumstances, we're not going to go open door, close door again, but he's giving us insight, discernment to see circumstances for what they are. For opportunities where we can be a part of what God is doing. And then the church. The church, we're the church, right? I mean, this building isn't the church. I mean, the building could burn down and, and it wouldn't, you know, the church would still exist. The church leaves and comes back every time a body of people go and come back. But all that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. If six of us got together, absent the Holy Spirit, we aren't a church. We're just a group of people. But the minute three or more of us get together with the Spirit, we are a church. We are the embodiment of the presence of Christ. We're going to get more into this next week. Again, ask yourself, do I go to the Bible? How do I go to the Bible? And if I don't go to the Bible, why don't I? You can't answer this one in the affirmative and not go to the Bible. Because you don't really want God to speak to you. Again, the primary way God speaks to us is through his word. And if we don't want or take time to read the Bible, we don't want God to speak to us. We're going to talk about prayer real quick because we're going to pick it up next week. He says prayer is two-way fellowship and communication with God. And that's what prayer is. It's relational. Think of relational. Think of person and relating to that person. Okay? This isn't sending off a request to an institution. This is relating to a person. This is, hey, Steve, how you doing? What's new? How's it going? Now, he just doesn't, you know, talk about fishing and uh, God. You know, he has a purpose to what he's doing. But he does communicate with us in a relational way. Okay? Blackaby says this. That, that's, that's the a foundation of it. Now, we're going to do an exercise. This is the last thing I'm going to talk about, and then you're going to go in your groups. We're going to do an exercise, and I'm going to own this up front. Some of you have done it. No exercise I've ever done in Timberwood in my 11 years here it causes as much angst and hate that comes my way. So I'm just going to get ahead of this curve because I know I'm going to probably get hate emails for a week. For the next week, this is one week, seven days, now until next Wednesday, okay? That's all we're talking about, not the rest of your life. We are not making a theological or biblical statement about prayer and about what I'm going to say. But I'm going to ask you, I'm going to instruct you, I'm actually going to say, do this. I want you for one week to pray like you would normally, you know, times and the frequency and all that. 
and not ask for anything. Now, some of you have experienced this before. I'm telling you, I don't, the first time I ever did it, I thought I was going to get run out of town. I mean, people, what if this is not you? Tell me the Bible does it. No, I am just saying it as an exercise to see prayer as a conversational exercise or thing, not just a here's my wish list and want list God here. Because that's what most prayer is. Here are the things I want. You know, we're like the child that goes, you know, I want this, I want this. So for one week, pray, just don't ask. Then people come back to me and they say, well, I don't have anything to pray for then. Wow, really? Think about what you just said. If your kids came to you and said, you know, I can't talk to your mom or I can't talk to your dad unless I'm asking you for something because really I got no other time for you. You would be what? Slightly offended to somewhere totally outraged. So why would the children of God, would we not think that God would be outraged by the fact that all we ever do is ask him for things? I know this is not an easy exercise. It makes us think of God in a different way. He's not just the genie in the bottle. He's not the idol that we just try to manipulate to get what we want. We actually have to relate the triune God. Try it. It may actually transform your understanding of who God is. And we're just talking about one week. Next week, you can just go back to asking everything you ever wanted and just go back to that crying, whiny, throwing a fit God, uh, child that we often can be. I know, sounds harsh. I'm making a joke. Try it for one week. Okay? And, and no, we, no need to tell me how horrible an idea this is, how stupid it is, and how offended you are by it. I've heard them all. I've been at this a little while. But if you do it, it's going to show you how you see God. And it's going to show you what a relationship with God is all about. Okay, let's go on our discussion groups.